Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I should have taken the first step within two months, three months, got myself involved in some networking event, a webinar, anything, take that step. Because if you're going to try to know it all before you step in it, you're never going to know it all anyway. So just take that next step really early on. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Flint Jameson. Flint is joining us from Denver, Colorado. He is the founder of Vestas Capital. As a syndicator, he focuses on multifamily funds and built to rent properties. Flint's portfolio consists of being a GP on almost 900 units across four properties and being an LP on three properties. He also works full-time as a program manager where he runs a program to engineer and modify aircraft for the Air Force. Flint, thank you for joining us and how are you today? Good. That statement is a little dated, but it's good. Glad to be here. Well, give us an update. What's the latest? Yeah, I think I'm up to 1,500 units. And that is the funds. The funds will just skyrocket you in numbers because you get involved in a portfolio, you do a capital raise and you have a huge team. 
And all of a sudden you have three properties that close in three months and they're all 250, 300 units and boom. Okay. Hold on. You just gave me a bunch of ammunition for questions, but before we dive into that, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah. So I'm a mechanical engineer by trade and then I got my MBA and I designed aircraft for 15, 20 years. Like the 787, I designed that for 10 years. I designed wing structure. So it's it's really fun to go fly on an airplane that I designed. Now, I, as you said, I'm mod aircraft. I'm a program manager and I am slowly working myself out of my W-2. When did you find real estate? 2018, I bird my first duplex, bought it for 80K in Class C area in Milwaukee. I sold that in April at the right time, serendipitously at the right time. And I sold it for 170 and I made about 35% returns in totality on that average annual returns. Milwaukee's a long way from Denver. Yes. Why Milwaukee? And how did you find that? To be honest, I came across a group. They basically offered the service for investors. So it was essentially this guy that took his wholesaling business and he partnered with some GCs. They found properties. They would offer these properties that needed rehab. And they said, okay, you can buy this property. You have to buy it with cash because it's a wholesale. And then here's the costs. They essentially take realtor fees and GC fees. You pay them to manage the whole thing remotely. And at the end, you end up with this property that you've heard. So it's rather than me building a team from ground up, they were this pre-built team and they came with deals. What a great return. Why not just keep doing that? So much work. So to give you the... The 32nd story on how that happened. The burst strategy wasn't successful. For one, I couldn't cash out refi just because I didn't have enough value by the time I pumped a whole bunch of money into it. It cash flowed really well, but in the end, the tenant stopped paying. Turns out the tenant was operating a group home for geriatric Alzheimer's patients in my property. They're running a not so legal group care home. Uh. And actually the only way I discovered this wasn't through my property manager. It was through my real estate agent. When I decided to sell, the tenant stopped paying. So I'm kind of glossing over a lot of details there, but I pivoted way early on knowing that that property, even though it was cash flowing well, like $300 per door, which is a good average, right? But I calculated I needed to have roughly 50 more doors before I was okay with the passive income to quit my day job. And the amount of work it took to get that one property and the amount of capital, I needed to find something else. And I ended up coming across a Michael Blanc podcast on Bigger Pockets, and that was it. I pivoted. What was your first step in pivoting? I listened to a ton of Michael Blanc podcasts. And then from there, I bought into a webinar and then started going to conferences and networking and partnering up with people. The standard story, you've got to educate yourself however you do that, podcast books, webinars, and then you got to network, form a team, find complimentary people, and lots of grit. Who was on your team initially? You don't have to the name other, names, but like- No, no. Way. So we had a commercial broker who was finding a deal. We had a CPA and we had a professional asset manager. That property, we initially went on, it fell apart. That's a whole nother story. It fell apart for various reasons, but the key was we couldn't raise enough capital. So it fell out of contract. And then I immediately pivoted again, as far as I was the boots on the ground, due diligence inspections, 
And I realized we had a major gap in capital raising. So then at that point, I jumped into a capital raising mentorship group. And now I'm a largely a capital raiser. And that's so. a big turnaround. What were your takeaways and what steps did you implement to become essentially a capital raiser? Yeah, I needed a lot of help. As an engineer and a program manager, I have no idea how to do sales and marketing and funnels. So I found another big group out there that that's what they focus on, right? It's a mentorship and mastermind group, and they help teach you through it. And since that point, so that was September of last year, by November, I had a new website. I had an entire active campaign, all the drip funnels and everything. And I was pumping social media like crazy. I was getting investors through my funnels. I got invited on to another partnership, a group of guys that I had been talking with for a year. I got invited onto their deal to capital raise and do some asset management with them. And that was through December, January, we closed in February. And that was, to be honest, my first hundred units was February this year. And here I am, we're recording this August of 22 and I'm up to 1500 units. All right. There's a lot of the story we got to hear. You hear these cliches with funnels and branding, thought leadership. What action items did you take to be able to raise money? One is you got to have a database. When I first started, I was with friends and family. You don't necessarily need a database. You just try to do your best you can with what you have. But to really take it to the next level, you got to legitimately go out there and get like a MailChimp or HubSpot or I use ActiveCampaign and build a place for investors to go sign themselves up. They have to put their information in. You've, you've got to separate the sophisticated versus accredited investors. And then the website, you got to have some sort of brand that they can go to. And then really what I did is I think I resonate with LinkedIn the most. So at that point, you're just grinding away on social media. And then in person, talk to everyone you know, even in an elevator, some stranger, strike up a conversation, say, what do you do? And they will ultimately ask what we do. And at that point, you mention it. And sometimes you hook people. I'm shy about asking people what they do because it feels like a judgmental question, especially if somebody sees you in a nice car or something like that. And they ask, what do you do? I often shy away from engaging because I don't want to seem like I'm coming across boastful or bragging. Right. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Takes a lot of practice as an introvert and an engineer. Uh, <laughs> it's been a learning experience. I had a lot of failures along the way, right? Especially on LinkedIn posts. I've put some stupid stuff out there. You're right. Sometimes it takes the right person to talk to. If you're in an elevator with someone that appears to be that they don't have a lot of net worth and wealth, you may not want to go there with the conversation. You let it be. But say you're at a big business conference hotel and some other stranger walks on and they have a suit and tie, you can strike up a conversation that way. Yeah. Okay. That's very important. So know the environment, know the audience, because what I really meant to say is when you hear, what do you do? To me, it's almost like you're sizing people up, right? Okay. I get where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful how you say it, right? It's not just straight out. So what do you do? You, you strike up a conversation. Hey, how are you doing? Awesome. Yes, I like that approach. I, I love, I, I love, I love that the approach. tie. You got to crack the ice first before Good. you say, so what do you uh, do? 
Okay, good. Well, now my other question is if you're a self-proclaimed introvert, why not outsource that part of the equation? Tried that and failed at that. Do you enjoy constantly being out there networking and finding out information about people? Yes. So I would consider myself an ambivert. It is a extroverted introvert. Got it. I need to recharge my batteries on my own time, reading a book or doing my own thing with my family. But when I go to like the best ever conference, man, did I have a killer time for three days straight. I was out there in that hallway, just talking with everyone. <laughs> it was a blast, right? Yeah. But at some point at like two 30 in the afternoon on Saturday, you gotta be like, I, I gotta go take an, an hour and sit by myself for a bit and recharge. But I do really enjoy talking about what I do and how I can help people. Okay. So I love that term ambivert. Did you coin that or is that a real thing? No, that's a legitimate thing. Okay. Because I've got some friends who say that they're an introvert extrovert and they're essentially referring to the same thing you just mentioned an ambivert. Okay. Awesome. Now the best ever conference, by the way, was awesome. Shameless plug, if you will. But when I found out that all the attendees get access to the replays of the presentations, I stayed in the hallway the entire time. I'm like, I'll listen to the conferences later. I'm surprised I, we didn't cross paths. I we know. were both out there. there was Next year, we need to connect. Absolutely. That, yeah. So I get that. It was, it was a lot of fun just interacting with people. Everybody just seemed to be there to network. That was incredible. So I've heard a lot of people who wanted to passively set up these funnels, the website, the branding, and have it automated so that people just come to you. Does that work or do you have to be out there and interacting with people, having a conversation? In my opinion, they want a warm body to talk to. They want a face they can put the company name to, right? That's the hardest part about outsourcing. And I did do some outsourcing for social media from someone from the Philippines. You know, you pay them $5 an hour, but they don't have your same voice. And then they always say something wrong. There's the second language barrier. But the biggest thing about bringing an LP in is they have to know, like, and trust you. And the only way for them to know, like, and trust you is to actually talk to you. So I think that there are really creative ways to bring people into a funnel and educate them. I plan on doing YouTube videos of what are the basic questions? What is a syndication, right? And you do a 20 second YouTube video and just offer that to investors on the website so that they can digest, but it's coming from me personally. But I think in the end, if they still need that next level, they still have the opportunity to talk to me directly. I agree. I think that's incredibly important. In my experience, interviewing a lot of successful real estate people Engineers make some of the best syndicators out there because they're very process and system driven. You use Active Campaign. Active Campaign, yep. What information do you like to keep on potential investors or just contacts in general? So, beyond the necessary SEC stuff that we needed to have, when I talk to people, I usually open up the Active Campaign and write as many notes as possible. I am still trying to learn how to be better at this. You hear about salesmen that know the names of your kids and how old they are and when your birthday is. I personally don't feel like I have the bandwidth to handle all that. And I don't get to that level of detail with most investors. But what I do do, when I talk to investors, I say, look, this is like a two-way interview. You're trying to learn what I do, understand the process, and I need them to know, like, and trust me. 
And likewise, I need to make sure that they're a good fit. So most of the time I do ask once again, so what do you do? And if they say they're a trash truck driver, it's likely that, well, this is probably not the right fit for you because I'm an engineer. I get that type of avatar coming through. I get people that are IT professionals, VP of IT or engineers from NASA. At that point, I know that they are sophisticated individuals. I document all of that. If I run into them somewhere, I document all of that just to give me a refresher of where I know this person from. Because I've run into several people that are like, hey, Flint, hey, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> really remember you. So I try my best to give myself those key things that help remind me of how I met that person and who they are and where they come from. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class, and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project level. IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliance Experience Team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. You just gave me an idea. I should find people's pictures on social media. And if I have their contact info, put a face to them. Because the more you see that, the more it should help in person. Yeah. And half the calls I have are Zoom with these investors. I could screen capture it. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. Put a face to a name. So this way, yeah. when you see them at a conference, you don't read their name tag and be like, oh, Matt, how are you? <laughs> yeah. I actually, this just happened this weekend. I was at lunch and someone's like, hey, Flynn, how are you? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> good. I used to get caught a lot when I say nice to meet you. It's like, dude, we've met like five times. Uh-oh. I changed that to nice to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> this way yeah. it's like a blanket hello greeting yes that is brilliant <laughs> it's only learning from failure so you're also a gp on properties so what are you flint are you a capital raiser are you a syndicator fund <laughs> manager what do you want to be all when you of grow the up? <laughs> above it's crazy yeah i'm doing built to rents now so 
syndicator for sure. I think that's the easiest way to lump it. I'm also an LP on other deals, but I focus most of my time on capital raising, given that I'm in a W-2 job. I think it's the best position to be in when you're remote. The acquisition guys, they have to fly all over the place. If you don't live in the place you want to invest in, you're constantly down there getting face-to-face with brokers. Likewise, with asset management, you can do it remote, but there's a lot of travel you got to do still. You got to stay on top of things. So this has enabled me to be the most flexible as a capital raiser. And then conveniently, I've converted into a fund manager, which is largely just pure capital raising. So I started a fund to fund and then actually just uh, last week I got invited onto a blind fund. Let's dive into those. And you mentioned that having the fund blew your business up exponentially. As far as unit count, yes. Okay. So the fund of funds, let's start with that. It's basically taking on investors and cultivating investments, evaluating deals for them and investing their capital. Correct. And there's a lot of people that do funds of funds model. What's your value add over other people? The truth is everybody has our own database of investors and we have to find a place for our own investors to go invest. That's really what it comes down to. And different syndicators or fund managers have access to different types of operators. Some may just operate in Florida. This recent one we did was three different states and it was totaled seven, almost 800 units, three different properties, three different classes. So what was really cool in this one is the primary fund owner and the operators brought a wide variety of asset classes and business strategies to a single fund and three different states on top of that to provide investors a very diversified single investment. And Flint, how does a fund manager get paid? There's a lot of work in setting up that fund to fund. We have to do a lot of the legal work. There's a lot of fees up front. So we take a small acquisition fee. We don't typically take an acquisition fee like an operator would, but we take a little bit. Essentially, the way it works is the primary fund offers a larger distribution to a fund to fund. If you bring in X amount of money, whether it's a million dollar threshold or $5 million threshold, it's like multiple classes of investors. So your standard investor straight into the fund might get just a seven pref and a 70-30 split. Where we, coming in with a $5 million check, we get a 10% pref and a 80-20 split. So then we can offer our investors something slightly better than what somebody going direct into the fund can have. And then there's enough meat on that bone for us to take a little bit off the top because we do have to asset manage. We do have to have CPAs and all the financials and K-1s. We are doing all that work because essentially the way it works out is I sign the PPM or all the docs to the primary fund. I'm basically handing over a $5 million check as an LP to the primary fund. Hopefully that makes sense. It does. And the other fund that you have set up, what is that? Uh, The blind fund. Bear with me. I'm in it in a week. So there's probably some gaps in my knowledge, but what I really love about this is it's almost like a perpetuity plan. It's you can ride this for a long time. So the cool thing is, is the plan is to buy a property, one or two properties every year. Normally when you invest into a single property, there's this period where you have to stabilize the property. There's no cash flow, and the cash flows start out low. And as they ramp up, well, once you get this blind fund built and you have this cascading event of 
properties that are at varying levels of maturity in their business cycle, you can maintain a steady cash flow. So what we're doing is an eight pref with an 80-20 split, and it just ride it out. So what's really fun is we're raising for the sixth asset of this fund, but asset number one is likely to sell here in a few months. So everyone that's in it is going to get a slight bump and pay for the next quarterly distribution because we're those a big capital event while this new property is ramping up and stabilizing itself. So as you have that constant cascading flow of properties, it can be a long-term investment. You don't have to take distributions. Say you put $50,000 in, you don't want the $1,000 this quarter or that quarter. You can opt to put it back in. You don't pay any capital gains. And now you've grown your investment in that portfolio. So you're essentially creating the snowball effect as more properties come on and as properties sell your capital gains, if you want to put them back in, you don't even pay the taxes. So there's a lot of options being in a blind fund to do as you choose with your money. If you don't want to have to get your money back, deal with the tax implications, find another deal to invest in, you just let it ride. Also, if for some reason there's a life event, you can get out in two years. You don't have to wait for a standard five-year you don't have to wait for the business plan to go full cycle to get all your money back. You can opt to buy out. Would you limit the number of properties that you have in each fund? Yes. Why but, do you do that? Why not just blow it up and make it that's huge? That's a great question. I think at some point you need to close the door on a fund. Now, I don't think I can eloquently say why, but this fund was written. The operating agreement says it's $100 million. That's the max. But we are already thinking in the future, once you hit that $100 million, you'll likely offer a 1031 exchange to fund number two. And then people can just roll right over and maybe it's another $100 million. So as each of your properties sell in that fund, you give the investors the opportunity to 1031 or not? No. As properties sell, you give people the opportunity to just keep their money within the fund and then their money invested grows or they can take the cash. Okay, so there's um, it not is a- not a 1031. Until that fund maxes out at $100 million and we can no longer accept more funds. And then on the distributions, are there capital gains or do you still have all the negative K1s hitting? So you do get the K1s, but you can opt to take the distributions or not. If you take a distribution, there are capital gains. Okay, interesting. I don't know if I answered your question on that. You did. I'm just really curious on how these are set up and how different people do them. Yes. If an investor wants to leave after two years, you have to replace that investor, right? Correct. So what's interesting about funds is you can raise 100% of the time. There's no closure period. You can just raise while the fund is open, raise all year long. So likely what would happen in that event is the GPs might buy that person out and then backfill by raising some more money and getting someone in that position. Got it. And then once that fund is closed, you'd have another one that they could potentially 1031 into in the perfect world. Okay. When somebody commits money to a fund versus timing of the capital that you need for your deal, how does that work? Do you have people wire money ahead of time? Great question. So in this particular fund, we're essentially raising it in tranches, and those tranches are driven by the next property being added. So what's interesting is we will pitch 
a given property as if you're buying into a single property. Here's the next asset, number six, and it is straight up just a single property pitch. And here's the business strategy. Here's why we love it. And oh, by the way, there's already five other properties in here at various stages of maturity. And they have historically, over the last two years, been providing a strong 8% pref and an 80-20 split. So that triggers the investors that get in the gate. Now, I think where you're going with this is, okay, I get in on property number six and property number one just sells. How is that weighted? How do I get a benefit of the property number one that just sold two months later after I bought in, but you have investors that bought into property number one? That's all weighted. So the longer you've been in it, the more waiting you have for those big capital events. Got it. And I would assume that investors feel a little bit warm and fuzzy knowing that this is already in progress. This fund itself already has a track record. They're just buying in along with a whole bunch of other investors that were already in. Yep. Do you ever ask yourself why every syndicator doesn't go with a fund model? So here's the other thing. They're very difficult to set up. And as a fund manager, you have a fiduciary responsibility to continue bringing properties that can perform to the level that you've established. Two years ago, this eight pref, 80-20 split, everybody's doing great, we can do this. Now in this world, it gets even harder. But here's the benefit as a fund manager, because we end up being the big check writer. Once again, it's like the fund of fund. I'm going to write a million dollar check or $5 million check. In this scenario, though, we come in with a $5 million check to an individual property. And we talk to those property operators and say, hey, we got a $5 million check for your 400 units. We want pref equity. So we get a little bit. And that's where, especially in this day and age, when interest rates are high, cash flows are a little lower, negotiating that big check for a little bit of pref equity gives our investors the ability to maintain that eight pref 80-20 split. Interesting approach. Flint, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Take action. So to back up on that a little bit, I spent an exorbitant amount of time trying to educate myself a year or more. This is self-educating via podcasts and some books. I should have taken the first step within two months, three months, got myself involved in some networking event, a webinar, anything. Take that step because if you're going to try to know it all before you step in it, you're never going to know it all anyway. So just take that next step really early on. Yeah. Great advice. Flint, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, Flint, what's the best ever book you recently read? The Go-Giver. Not only from a capital raising standpoint, was it super beneficial to hear it, but just being a human being in life and interacting with other people, the go-giver was very profound. Yeah, I've got a good friend of mine that read that and it was very impactful to him. So thank you for sharing that. Flint, what's the best ever way you like to give back? To be honest, I get a lot of syndicators or people wanting to be syndicators who find me and just ask how I got started. It's just kind of naturally happened. Now, in the future, when I become financially free and I'm able to really choose what I want to do, I really want to get involved with Engineers Without Borders and travel the world and teach my kids how to change the world around them. Yeah, Flint, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? 
You can go to vestuscapital.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. I think it's LinkedIn slash Flint Jameson. And it's V-E-S-T-U-S capital.com. Flint, thank I got to thank you for your time today, man. You got started in 2018 with a duplex. You've accomplished a tremendous amount in less than four years. Your engineering background, I'm sure, played a big part of this. Pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thanks, Ash. It's been great. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.